Hi, it's Helen. And it's me, Jay Keith. And before we get started with this special best of episode of Go Fact Yourself, we've got some updates on scheduled guests and dates for our upcoming live shows in Los Angeles. We'd love to see you there. First up, on Sunday, September 10th at 7 p.m. at the Center for Inquiry West, we've got actor Anna Camp versus comedian and podcaster Mike Schmidt. On Friday, October 6th at 7 p.m. at Barnes & Noble at The Grove, it'll be Keegan-Michael Key versus L key. Ooh, new date and new venue to report. On Sunday, October 15th at 7 p.m. at the Lyric Hyperion in Silver Lake, we'll have comedian Ron Funches versus another exciting guest to be announced. And Sunday, December 2nd at 7 p.m., back with our friends at LAists, the Crawford and Pasadena with guests to be announced. And speaking of our live shows, I want to thank Shannon and James who came to a show at the LAist, the one that I missed because I was super sick, and uh, brought me a really, really nice note and a gift. Thank you so much, Shannon and James. It's yeah. really, it really touched me. And uh, they brought the same for me, Helen. It doesn't take away anything from the fact that they brought you something as well, but it was <laughs> indeed literally very sweet. Hey, you can get info on tickets and updates on guests at our website, gofactorpod.com. And now, Let's get to another exciting best of edition of Go Fact to Yourself. Bring us treats. Bring us treats. Hey everyone, it's me, J.K. Van Stratton. And it's me, Helen Hong. And welcome to another best of edition of Go Fact Yourself. You know, all of our previous best of episodes, Helen, have been dedicated to human beings. So it seemed about time to dedicate this one to... Animals! We've got some of our favorite segments and trivia with people who chose cute critters as their area of expertise. Now, speaking of cute critters, I, of course, have two cats. Helen, uh, you've had a very tough year in the pet department. I have my beloved Dodger who many of you know, many of you have requested pictures of him during the Max Fun Drive. Uh, My senior dog, Dodger, passed away in June. And yeah, it's, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever had to experience. I know a lot of you are familiar with pet loss and um yeah please send me strength through this time cuz i'm still it's it's really hard but you know in dodger's honor i am happy to talk about like wonderful furry friends on our episode today yeah losing a pet is pretty much the worst thing that there is so i know that uh, i speak for all of our listeners when i uh, send you good wishes and uh, understand what you're going through and uh, it's not going to be easy but you will get through it helen and i appreciate your being here with us today thank you jake keith Well, you know that I am a massive cat fan, and it took only until episode five to have a cat topic on the show. Who was that, Helen? Monique Powell from the band Save Ferris showed off her knowledge of cat behavior against Dave Holmes, host of the Max Fun podcast, Troubled Waters. Kitties! Oh boy. Play the clip. Have you ever successfully modified a cat's behavior? Um, yeah, with a spray bottle. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, that works. Spray bottle works. Well, fascinating. just ahead, we'll enlist the help of a bona fide expert in cat behavior to test your mastery in this subject with our expert-level questions worth up to three points. Yeah. But before that, just to give you a chance to show off, here are five trivia questions about cat behavior, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints among these five questions. Dave, if you know the questions that Monique gets wrong, you can steal. By the way, how much do you know about cat behavior? Pass. <laughs> what, what do you have, a dog? Ew, yeah. gross. See, I'm so with you. Dogs, dogs you are dog. sweet. Right. Let's face sweet it, dogs puppy. are just better. Yeah. 
Well, we'll have a new co-host next show on Novak. No, no, no. We love everybody here. All right, here are the first of your five trivia questions, Monique. According to Best Friends Animal Society, what is the most common reason cats are brought to shelters? Uh, Peeing. Helen? I'm going to give it to you. Litter box problems. That's right, yes. Litter box problems is the number one reason. I mean, we, we do want the cats to pee. It's right, but just a marking. Of, yeah, it's marking. A matter of where. I should okay. say marking. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, here we go. Number two. What is the proper term for the motion cats make by rhythmically alternating their paws, pushing in and out of a pliable object? Kneading. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> also colloquially called making biscuits. Yes, making biscuits. <laughs> That's right. Kneading dough. That's right. And actually just talking about it making makes me bread. want to go home and cuddle with my cat right now. Aww. But I'll, I will persevere for you people. All right, two for two. Here is number three. Aside from stretching, what's the main reason a cat will arch its back? Um, they will arch their back. Oh. You can ask for a hint if you want. Yeah, I'll take a hint. Helen, how about a hint? Here's the hint. <laughs> okay, so... So for those way, of you Helen to make Hahn themselves... The hint, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. And, and for those of you at home that are not here watching me, I've yes. just made myself much bigger and gone... Yes. 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 This really is why you need to come see photo. the live yes. show. I hope, I hope photos looking. have been taken. How many cats? Do you have cats? You look like I you a cat lady. No. no. Okay. So, I'm definitely allergic. Doesn't that sound yeah. like a compliment? Yes. No, absolutely a compliment. No, absolutely. All right, let's get to our answer. So they uh, arch their backs to make themselves seem larger when in the presence of a potential um, enemy or threat. Oh, that's so correct. That's yeah. exactly correct. Very Guys, good. My hint was so on point. Yes. It was. You, you actually gave me the point. Yes. I feel guilty taking that you know, point. I want, to find a way, I want to find a way to use that hint in every show. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, here we go. Point. Number four. Which of the following is not a sign that your cat is in heat? She moves her tail to one side. She tries to escape. She excessively licks her genital area. Or she drinks more water. Um, I think maybe the tail to one side thing. Helen? No, that is not correct. Incorrect. Dave with a chance to steal. I'm going to say it's the drinking of water. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. The dog guy gets the answer. And by the way, who's to say what's excessive genital licking? (laughs) (laughs) So much judgment. Uh, The moving the tail to one side is called a deflection reflex, which allows males easier access, if you know what I'm saying. It's a family show. All right, Dave got the steal on that, but you have a chance to get your point back on this one. Number five, Monique, as far as cat behavior is concerned, what is gaping? Is gaping the thing they do with their mouths where it looks like they're breathing like a tiger, where they sort of open their mouth and breathe through their mouth like that? Helen? I think I'm going to give it to her. Yes. That's right. That's right. It's when a cat... Yes. We call it the tiger breath. The tiger bath? Ti- tiger breath. Tiger, tiger breath. breathing. Okay, yes. Because yeah, it... tigers do that in the wild. Yeah. It's, it's like... when a cat partially opens its mouth for about five to ten seconds. Sometimes it'll wrinkle its muzzle, lower its chin, and let the tongue hang out. Yeah. It's really creepy. It's really um, creepy. It's actually known as the flamen response. Mm. Flamen response. Flamin. <laughs> uh, and that is associated with the inhalation of odors and pheromones from other cats to gather social or sexual information about Ooh. other cats. So when a cat gapes, it opens the passage for those odors to travel to the Vimeronasal, vimeronasal mm, yes. organ, which helps process the information. Wow. So, uh, wow. very good on that. You got Thank four you. out of five, I believe. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
But now, here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Okay. Now, it drives cat owners crazy when cats scratch up the furniture, but there's a reason they do it. In fact, according to board-certified veterinary behaviorist Dr. Rachel Malamed, there are three reasons. So for up to three points, what are the scientific reasons that cats scratch stationary objects like furniture? All right. So, okay. So one is probably to file down their nails. Like, it feels good. They like doing that. The other is to mark their territory. And the third has something probably to do with pheromones. Because cats do everything because of pheromones. Yep. I did it all for the pheromones. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, okay. So, uh, so that's what I would to... say. Like, something having to do with the actual physical act of it and filing down their nails. The other having to do with the pheromones, and then the third having to do with marking their territory. But I think it also feels good for them. Helen has recorded your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have? Here with us tonight is a veterinarian and board-certified veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Rachel Malamed. Dr. Rachel Malamed! (laughs) Hello, Dr. Malamed. Please move up and speak right into the Hi. microphone there. Hello. Welcome. Uh, your name sounds very familiar to me. I believe I've said it in the question that we asked a moment ago. <laughs> I'm very yes. impressed, actually. You knew a lot about cat behavior. So. Excellent. Now, uh, not all behaviorists are veterinarians, and not all veterinarians are behaviorists. So what, what is the distinction? So I'm a veterinarian first and foremost, and then I went back for additional residency training in clinical animal behavior. So behavioral medicine, um, which focuses on basically the, the science behind um, animal behavior and the, the wow. psychology behind it and the medical aspects of it. And how much do we know about why cats behave the way they behave? Are there, are there still mysteries to the behaviorists? Yes. I mean, if, if only they could talk to us and explain. Oh, I bet they would say <laughs> such and... bitchy things. <laughs> <laughs> they would like, say... why, why do you make me watch you undress and uh, yes. go to the bathroom? <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of research. There are a lot of things that we do know, but, of course, there's still mysteries. So. Sure. Now, uh, you make house calls when you go to people's homes to help them uh, with their, their pet's behavior. What are some of the more odd cases that you've seen? The odd cases are usually the what we call repetitive behaviors, um, the, you know, tail chasing, the over-grooming, um, the, you know, sort of frenetic unusual, abnormal behaviors. And what do you consider excessive uh, genital licking? Oh. I'm, asking for, <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. I haven't actually quantified that. Okay. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, does somebody have to stand, stand there with a clicker, like, every time? Like, um, now, you recommend people videotape their pet's behavior uh, when they come to you. What's some of the weirder things that you've seen pets do on video? I don't know if there's so many weird things. I think they're weird to the owners because they're unexpected things, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, what, it, what do our pets do when they're at home alone? Oh, and, what have you seen? Um, you know, just <laughs> sometimes absolutely nothing. And yeah. sometimes people think they're doing absolutely nothing, and then they discover, you know, that they're actually... Um, Reading you know, your diary. Urin- yeah, urinating, yeah. or they're... They're destroying things, or they're, you know... They're, they're framing kind of... their sibling for a crime they did not commit. Serious. No, they'll wait till... No, they will wait till we're gone. And then they will pee and then blame it on the other one. Okay. Wow. I'm not kidding. Yeah, no, obviously people know uh, that you know, dogs can be trained and behavior modified, but cats can have their behavior modified as well. Is it, is it more difficult to train a cat? Why, why don't people think of cats as trainable? I don't know why they don't think of... Cats is trainable. They're, they are very trainable. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's all based on 
learning theory and positive reinforcement training and what they'll do for usually for a treat and you can train almost any animal and you said positive reinforcement yeah. so when monique used a spray bottle she's a horrible person no, no comments. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight. You heard the question that we asked Monique. As a reminder, we asked, according to somebody named uh, Dr. Rachel Malamed, uh, there are three scientific reasons that cats will scratch a stationary object like furniture. Helen, let's remind everyone of uh, the three answers. Monique said that cats scratch furniture to file down their nails, mark their territory, and because of pheromones. And how did she do on that? I think I would give you two out of three points, but the last answer sort of over, well, two of the answers overlap. So the first um, answer would be maintenance of the claws. So you got that correct. So they'll, they'll um, sort of condition their claws and remove the outer sheath and also exercise the ligaments involved in uh, protraction of the, the claws for hunting. Um, and then secondly, they will mark with their claws. So as a visual marker to other cats, but also as a scent Marker, so they actually have uh, scent glands in their paws that they'll deposit these um, substances on the, the surface. And um, thirdly, it's for stretching. So, but the pheromones and the, the scent marking are, are, are all part of that similar. Same yeah. Right. But two out of three, not bad, Monique mm. Powell. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I just, for the record, I haven't used a spray bottle in probably eight years. Okay, so. I was just... I didn't mean to spray shame you, yeah, I'm sorry. No. Don't spray uh, shame me, bro. <laughs> if people want to find out more about your work, where can they find you? Um, so, beha- uh, behaviordoctor.com, and doctor is spelled D-O-G-T-O-R. Behavior doctor. Oh. All right, Dr. Rachel Malamed, ladies and gentlemen. Doctor. Wow, the show sounds a lot different since back then in episode five. We didn't even have the audience say, ooh, after we said cluster fact. Ooh. By the way, Dr. Malamed, who you heard there, has since co-written a book called Decoding Your Cat. The ultimate experts explain common cat behaviors and reveal how to prevent or change unwanted ones. That was our topic. Monique returned as an expert on episode 56 in the topic of 1990s third wave ska revival. Oh, I remember that. That is uh, the moment that I learned what 1990s third wave ska revival was. Uh, Hey, as much as I'd love for this show to be all about cats, we are going to showcase another animal that some people keep as pets. Here's a clip from episode 15, which featured best-selling author Susan Orlean showing off her knowledge of chicken husbandry. That sounds like an obscure topic, and it is. But Susan's opponent, Paul F. Tompkins, actually knows some very critical facts about chickens. Paul, by the way, how much do you know about chicken husbandry? Um, You know, I know that... You, you gotta give him give him that grain. All right, <laughs> you gotta give him that grain. Well, Susan, wow. you better do well in this because Paul certainly that's dazzling. Is ready to steal. <laughs> they love it. I don't even know what to say. I I give up. I'm just surrendering. Well, well, let's let's play this out and see what happens before the inevitable. Gotta give him that grain answer comes up later oh, in the quiz. A great question. Here we go. Question number one for Susan Orlean about chicken husbandry. A sentence I never thought I would utter. <laughs> What popular breed of chicken was for decades given a voice by Mel Blanc in Warner Brothers cartoons? Foghorn Leghorn, which is an American leghorn. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. The breed is leghorn. (laughs) Number two, Susan. How do you tell a rooster from a hen just by looking at its legs? Just by looking at its... Oh, oh. uh, Roosters have spurs, which are these little claws that 
stick out the back, which they then, in a very crafty way, kick you with Ooh. when you're in the coop trying to be a good chicken husband. Again, they sound like delightful pets. Helen, <laughs> is that correct? That sounded painful, but that was correct. That is correct. They have spurs. The roosters do and the hens do not. Uh, you're two for two. Here is question number three. What hierarchical system was first observed with chickens and has since been applied to almost any system that has more dominant and less dominant members? Well, there's hen pecking... I wonder if that is what you're looking for. What's the name of the system? The system is peck the <laughs> out of the other chickens. Helen? <laughs> I'm going to say she got it correct. I'm going to say so as well. Pecking order. Pecking, pecking order. order. Oh, yes. Oh, 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 yes. Right. We'll take your more Sorry. artful approach. Whatever you got to do to get through the day. Am I right? <laughs> no? All right. Uh, Fun fact, the more dominant chickens do actually peck the less dominant ones, sometimes even to death. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Again, wonderful pets for children. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Susan, you are three for three. Here's question number four. Most chickens are a standard size, about the size of a chicken. But people with less space... (laughs) That's what the question says, Paul. Uh, But people with less space can raise miniature chickens that are about one quarter the size. What are these smaller breeds called? Bantams. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. The bantam chicken... Wow, Susan, you're killing it. You know what? I'm actually shocked. I know a lot about chicken husbandry. (laughs) It's a good thing you said that to us. You're killing it, or should I say broiling it? (laughs) Here we go. Let's see if you have a chance to go five for five. Here's question number five for Susan. You have a perfect score thus far. The Purdue Company buys thousands of tons of a type of flour to add to their chicken feed. It gives egg yolks a deeper color and actually turns the chickens yellow as well. Backyard chicken farmers can grow the same flour for similar results. What is this flour? Marigold flour. That is correct. Susan Raleen, five for five, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I'm sorry, Paul, you did not get a chance to, uh, to show off with your grain knowledge. I mean, you got to give them that grain. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> grain is life. Yeah. Grain is life. All right, and now, Susan, here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It's time for your cluster fact. Ooh. This question is so high-level, we'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The Uh-oh. answer is worth up to three points. Uh-oh. Here we go. Chicken manure isn't just disgusting. It's also useful. According to Global Poultry Technical Director for Merck Animal Health, Dr. Linnea Newman, what are the top three uses of chicken manure? Um, Number one, fertilizer. All right. Number two, fuel. Mm Mm-hmm. And number three, I think speeding up composting. Speeding up composting. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight via phone from her home office in the Adirondacks, we have Global Poultry Technical Director for Merck Animal Health, Dr. Linnea Newman. Dr. Newman, are you there? I am here. Hello, everybody. Hello, Dr. Newman. Very nice to speak with you. Now, I understand that you are a veterinarian with a board-certified specialty in poultry. That is correct. Uh, But I have to ask, uh, why poultry as your specialty? Well, when I was in veterinary school, I found that I really liked herd health, epidemiology on big population medicine instead of individual animal health. I was too soft to be able to do some of the companion animal things. And of the herd health options, pigs, cattle, horses, um, 
chickens were less likely to step on me, kick me, <laughs> and otherwise hurt me in some way. <laughs> now, are there many women uh, in this field? There are now, but when I started in 1986, I was the first female working for a large poultry company. They were so desperate for poultry veterinarians at that time, they'd even take a girl. Wow. <laughs> it was... Imagine now that. Now there are lots of us. Now we, we probably outpace the guys. No, it's kind of an interesting uh, occupation because uh, your company, if all goes well, they're, they're raising these broiler chickens to be used as food. Is that right? The original company that I worked for, yes. Right. And so you're trying to get them healthy enough to be eaten? Absolutely. Okay. We have farms that have between 50 and 100,000 birds on them, and you don't want to see those chickens get sick. You want to see that they actually make it to somebody's dinner plate in a way that they're healthy and the people who eat them stay healthy as well. Because if, we, if, if a human eats a chicken that maybe has a disease, that could also affect the, the human adversely. That's correct. Right. May I ask you yeah, a question? Please, do, Paul. Dr. Newman, um, chickens, you've got to give them that grain, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely you do. All right. Thank it's you. been verified. Thank you. All right, doctor, let's get to the reason that we brought you uh, on with us tonight as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked of Susan. We wanted to know, according to somebody named Dr. Linnea Newman, uh, what are the top three uses of chicken manure? Helen, let's remind everyone of the first answer that Susan gave us. Susan Orlean said fertilizer. And Dr. Newman, is that correct? Absolutely. That is the number one. Yeah. Very good. All right. Uh, very good, Susan. Uh, Helen, what was the second use that Susan said was used for chicken well, you know what I'm saying. What was, <laughs> Helen, what did Susan say for the second answer? <laughs> Susan said fuel. Dr. Newman? That's also correct. Yeah. It's All right. brand new use, the gasification to make methane or biofuels, bio-oil, are just being explored and starting to become more commonly used. Uh, all right, and finally, <laughs> Helen, what was the third answer that Susan gave for the use of chicken manure? Susan said, speeding up composting. Dr. Newman? Yeah, that one doesn't quite do it. Oh, <laughs> terribly sorry. Is, is, that so, is that a use of chicken manure that is common, though? You, it, to speed up composting, you generally windrow. You put it in piles, but you don't add chicken manure to it. Oh, okay, so um, not correct. What, what, is the, what is the correct answer for the third use? Can I take a guess? Sure, Paul. You convert it into chicken salad? <laughs> As the old expression goes. Yeah. Uh, what is the third use that is common for chicken manure, Dr. Newman? It's actually worse. It's converting <laughs> it into hamburger. What? What? Oh Cattle can eat chicken manure oh. and convert it into protein. So oh. can fish. Whoa. So they use, often uh, in Asia, you'll find a a poultry facility with a slatted floor over a fish pond. What? And the manure drops through into the fish pond and helps to fertilize the microbes in the pond, as well as some of the, the uh, leftover feed in the manure is directly useful. And cattle can convert urea into protein. I was feeling really smug that I don't eat animals with four legs, but then you also said fish, and I'm like, ew. Yeah. I think what we've learned today is everybody eats chicken poop. Uh. 
but All right, you have doctor. to realize what else fish eat anyway. Oh, la 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 la. Say no more, please. All right. I love my salmon. <laughs> Dr. Newman, if people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? They can go to MerckAnimalHealth.com. Excellent. Well, we appreciate your joining us, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Linnea Newman. Thank you. Thank you. It is true, Helen. You gotta give them that grain. And by the way, that really was Jim Newman, the co-creator and producer and writer of this show's sister, Linnea Newman, as our surprise expert. Sometimes it pays to have experts in the family. Let's stick with the barnyard animals for our next topic. This is from episode 86, featuring singer-songwriter Jonathan Brooke versus Mystery Science Theater 3000's Trace Beaulieu. Yeah, the topic technically wasn't animals. It was the social media account M underscore Crouton, which focuses on a cow named Crouton at the Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary. Yeah, and the expert was among the most unique we've ever had, an actual animal, as our surprise expert. It was utterly amazing. I don't hate that. I do see it. I do see it. it. Okay. I do. Here's question number one. Although Crouton is a steer, he lives at SES, Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary. What common farm animals are equines? Equines are horses. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. You did not need the hint, but I know Helen was very eager to give it to you if you had needed it. (laughs) Helen, what would that hint have been? really good. That was very good. That was really good. Helen is high-fiving her camera. (laughs) Fun fact, equines include the modern horses, zebras, and asses, as well as more than 60 species known only from fossils. There are, of course, equines at Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary, although I don't believe they have any zebras. All right, here's question number there Are there asses, though? I knew we couldn't get through it without saying asses. (laughs) I knew we couldn't get through it. Isn't a donkey an ass? And the donkey's name is Mojo. Well, he he talks a lot. Bonus fun fact from Jonathan Brooke. Here's question number two. Crouton first gained fame in a video showing him licking a small single-wheeled vehicle that you commonly find on a farm or in a garden. What was it? Single-wheeled vehicle Mm -hmm. you find in a farm. I need a hint. All right, Helen, how about that first hint? Webster's defines this equipment as a small, usually single-wheeled vehicle that is used for carrying small loads and is fitted with handles at the rear by which it can be pushed and guided. Oh, the wheelbarrow. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Excellent use of the hint. Fun fact, that original video on Twitter of Crouton licking a wheelbarrow now has nearly 2 million views and was captioned, Crouton and his wheelbarrow. They don't mess I around. The one thing I have not the seen. One, oh, I recommend it. It's 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 very. I'm doing cute. that. I need the viewers. Yeah. Trace, Trace, please be careful when you lick the wheelbarrow. Just make sure it's not February in yes. Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That'll stick to it. All right. Here's question number three, Jonathan. Crouton, as you've noted, does not live by himself. He's got a bunch of buddy animals at the sanctuary too, many of whom show up on his Twitter account. But which of the following is not the name of an animal at Squirrelwood? Is it Pumpernickel? Rue, Mojo, Jack, or Jill? Jill. Very quickly answered, Helen. That is correct. That is correct. Yes, you actually had mentioned some of those names coincidentally earlier. Jonathan putting her hands up and dancing in <laughs> triumph. Fun fact, Pumpernickel is a fellow bovine. Rue is a pig. Mojo is a donkey, as you'd mentioned. Jack is a dog. Other names of the animals on the farm include toy, big, mango, shrimp, and luscious OG. 
That's the goat. That is indeed the goat, the OG the ex- original goat. The expressionless goat. goat. The expressionless goat. And there are two other potbelly pigs called Mango and Kiwi. Oh, <laughs> More bonus gosh. fun facts from Jonathan. This is so much better than Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> right? There's a lot of drama, though, but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. You're three for three. Here's question number four. You, Jonathan Brooke, are not the only notable female singer-songwriter who is a fan of Crouton. What other musically talented woman not only also follows Crouton's Twitter account, but actually helped Crouton get to the farm in the first place using her own truck. I want to say Nico Case. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. It's Nico Case. And another triumphant arm raise for Jonathan. Jonathan, do you, do you have a fun fact for this uh, one? Have, have you crossed paths or worked with Nico Case? I have not, but I, I have noticed her being mentioned on the feed once in a while. So I think she must live nearby and be a fan and buddies with the two women that run the place. All right. Very good uh, deduction. You are four for four. Have a chance to go five for five. If you can get this question correct, you do still have a hint available. Jonathan, as we record this, Crouton has a new friend who arrived just last week. Though she's been referred to just as Mama, Crouton's Twitter account said a few days ago that a person with an unusual job title has been working with her and, quote, has made it very clear her name is Rose, end quote. What is the job title of that person? She's very sick. Mm-hmm. So they're fixing her udders because they have infections <laughs> in two parts of the udders. Oh. Person with an unusual job title. Yes. I need a hint. Helen, how about that second hint? She communicates to the animal. Don't think too much. Listen to the hint. Like a, an animal communicator. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Jonathan Brooke is, Jonathan not Brooke a job is, title. It is a job title. <laughs> That's just weird. Well, do you, if you don't want the point, we, we're happy to no, take I it away. I want the point. Okay, but, I mean, because like, they showed a picture the other day of the dogs getting freaking acupuncture. They're, they do some uh, unusual treatments there for the animal. They're, they're very well taken care of. I just love of. it. Yeah. Animal communicator. Fun fact, Rose, that cow, is a dairy cow. She's about three years old, and it was rescued from a feedlot. Jonathan Brooke, you are five for five on the at M underscore crouton <laughs> Twitter <laughs> account goodness. trivia test. Congratulations. You obviously did very well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Jonathan, like all superheroes, Crouton has an inspiring origin story. At a young age, he was advertised on a website and sold by a specific type of farm. For up to three points, how old was Crouton when he first came to Squirrelwood? What type of farm sold him? And on what website was he advertised? I think that I know that it was a veal farm. Okay. And I think that it was on Craigslist. All right. But I don't know, I think, the first answer. Okay. Well, you can give it your best guess. If you're if you're within a reasonable range, we'll probably give it to you. It's up to the expert. Well, I th- he was he was little, so I think he was maybe eight months old. Eight months old. Okay. Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is the most popular resident of Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary who has over 60,000 followers on Twitter. It's Crouton! (laughs) (laughs) Crouton, are you there? (laughs) There he is! I see a barn! I see a barn! We see it. We see a cow butt, and there he is. There's oh, awesome. Oh 
My goodness. Hi, oh, Croutons. Crouton, uh, I love you so much. And uh, Helen, somebody else is there as well. Who's that? Also joining us is the co-founder of Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary, who rescued Crouton and helps run his popular Twitter account. It's Beth Hyman. Hello, Beth oh, Hyman. Hey. My God, hi, Beth. Hyman. Hello. What? I'm Hello. just like beside myself with joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. How how is Crouton doing? Crouton is good. We just had a thunderstorm roll through, but we are doing fine. Excellent. And for our listeners, you are joining us from the barn. You did not bring Crouton into your Zoom in your house, so we appreciate you making those accommodations for us. We are in the barn, so there might be some crazy noises. We like it. Beth, I can say officially and without question, this is the first time I have ever had a Zoom meeting with a steer. Hey, there's always... (laughs) A first for everything. Now, we talk about cows. We talk about steer. We actually have done a What's the Difference on the show about steer versus bull. Do you get upset when people say cow instead of steer or vice versa? No. We've been dragged a few times on Twitter. Yeah. It's okay. Cow, yes, steer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take yes. either. It's not trivia. Yeah, you'll take either. Tell us a little bit more about the Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary. So we are a 92-acre horse farm in the Hudson Valley of New York. Nice rolling hills, green this time of year, rain every day. And uh, we are home to about 45 horses right now. And the menagerie has been described already. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what are the kind of services that you provide for uh, your rescued animals? Uh, Basically, we bring them in and restore their health, provide uh, long-term, that's Mojo if you hear them in the background. (laughs) Basically, we make sure they're healthy and give them a place to live out their lives safely and happily. Wonderful. And, uh, of course, you gladly accept donations from people. What is the site uh, that people can uh, go to 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 donate? And what do you use the donations for? Uh, It is squirrelwood.org is our website. And basically all the funds that come in uh, support the animals. That's feed and, you know, whatever basically they need, medicine, vet care. That is primarily what it does. And obviously keep the lights on, right? That's important. That I've heard, yes. Uh, and uh, people can visit the, the sanctuary as well. You've had some visitors since uh, Crouton's internet fame. Yes, we have. It was pretty quiet during COVID. We shut down. Now we're back open again. So by appointment, we let visitors come in, spend time with Crouton and the rest of the, the crew. People have favorites that they want to visit with. So all the pigs are wandering around. They might wander through. You might hear them, but... Yeah. That's fantastic. Jonathan is so excited, uh, I can tell, to visit next time she's in the area. She's we're just squealing. We're, we're seeing Crouton's ears kind of yeah. peek above your <laughs> shoulders a little bit. <laughs> yeah, by the way, if you, hear, if you hear squealing, that could be the pigs or it could be Jonathan with excitement. We'll, we'll... That's okay. How did you get into uh, animal rescuing and especially these kinds of farm animals? My dad was a veterinarian, so I grew up with all manner of creatures, and it was sort of just a natural, you know, extension of that. We always dragged something home to save, and he'd put it in a shoebox and tend its health, and that's how I grew up. So this is a pretty natural state of being for me. Why do you think Crouton was the one to touch so many people when you've got so many animals that you'd put out there? You know what? He was the first one. He was a little calf and everybody, and it was actually Nico who said, you know, he needs a social media account. And, I was, and I'm thinking, oh, it was Nico. Yeah, it was. And I was like, oh, I need this like a hole in the head. But, you know, here we are, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, initially it was, you know, 
five people watching a nightly video. And I was like, I must be crazy, you know? And and it just grew organically from there. And now we're about 60,000 strong, you know? It's, wow. It's, it's great. And you've got merch. Uh, Jonathan was mentioning to us off here that she actually uh, has some of the uh, some of the crouton merch. What do you have, Jonathan? I have the coffee mugs. I have a crouton coffee mug and a shower coffee mug. Whoa! Oh! Is that Rose? Is That's that Rose? Mojo. That's Mojo. That's that was Mojo. Mojo. Wow. Uh, sorry, Jonathan. You were you were interrupted unsurprisingly <laughs> by a donkey in a barn. Tell us again what you have there, Jonathan. I have two coffee mugs. I have crouton and Charlotte coffee mugs for my coffee. Very, very sweet. And Beth, I think, Beth, are you wearing a t-shirt? I from am. I am. A merch There's t-shirt. a Crouton Pride shirt. Yeah. Yes. Crouton I Pride. Crouton, I, I love that Crouton is woke. Uh, crouton. He is. He is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look at that sweetheart. I didn't know that boy cows um, had such long eyelashes. Oh, God, I'm dead. I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> Crouton is just part of his name. Can you tell us what his full name is and, and where that name came from? So there were a couple people here the day he arrived, and he was dubbed Marty Crouton Valentino because he has a heart <laughs> on his head. I came up with the crouton. He was square and brown, so it was <laughs> pretty obvious choice to me, but, you know. Sure. And on online, the M underscore crouton, people actually think it's Monsieur. So he can be Monsieur <laughs> Crouton. <laughs> Bonjour, Crouton. Bonjour. Bonjour. Crouton does have a heart on his head, yeah, on his he forehead. Does. Oh, yeah. And you're giving him scritches right now. Where does he appreciate the scritches the most? Oh, right here. This is the spot. Right here, on, under, the, under the sides of the cheeks, oh, it looks like, yes. in the jowls. Right here, Tom. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> My cold, cold heart is dripping with <laughs> melt, melt water. That's melt what water. it took it. That's, that's okay. What, that's what it took. Crouton that's what it took. That? Yep. Uh, well, my goodness. It's, it's, it, I, I hate to have to move on but when Crouton is just staring into my soul like that. But let's get to the reason what you brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Jonathan Brooke. First, we wanted to know how old was Crouton when he first came to Squirrelwood. Helen, what did Jonathan say? Jonathan said eight months old. And Beth Hyman? He was two weeks old. Two wow. weeks old. Yeah. Two weeks old, yeah. But that probably goes to show how large uh, cows and steer can look when they're when they're uh, that age. You probably look uh, to be a lot yeah, older. Yeah, they're about 100, 150 pounds. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 What? Easy mistake to make, and but e- I should have known. I should have known. That's all right, but no point there. Wait, wait, wait. Mama cows push out like a hundred pound baby out their hoo ha. Yes. Yes. Ha. Helen, does that does that make the new baby in your household seem more manageable? Yes. Well, yes. Also, Beth, like, so Rose was a birthing cow, right? Yeah. So she had to push out a lot, a lot of babies out of her hoo ha, and that's why she was so depleted and needed rescue. Correct? Yes. 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 And please, let's let's uh, if we're going to use words like hoo ha, let's at least call it a moo ha. All right. Let's go to <laughs> number two that we asked. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's what this show is. You might as well accept it. This is our 89th be, episode. This is what we do here. He'll be here all day. I'll he'll be, be here, here all day. All yeah, day. <laughs> Send your cards and letters to Helen Hong. Uh, <laughs> all right, next we wanted to know from Jonathan, what type of farm sold crouton? Helen, what did Jonathan say? Jonathan said a veal farm. And Beth? Okay, she was very close. It's a dairy farm. So Ah, dairy farm. Do you want to give her the point or a half point? That's up to you. Oh, definitely a half point there. 
Okay, half point. Uh, half point, very good. Half point for Jonathan. We are looking for a dairy farm. All right, and finally wanted to know, on what website was Crouton advertised that allowed him to be rescued and brought to Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary? Helen, what did Jonathan say? Jonathan said Craigslist. And Beth? That is correct. That is correct for the point. It was Craigslist. A, a rare positive experience that came out of somebody advertising on Craigslist. <laughs> uh, Beth, before we let you go, Jonathan, is anything you'd like to ask or say to our expert or experts while we have them here? Oh, my God. I have so many questions. But how is Huey doing? Huey's excellent. Growing like a weed. And Huey is, remind us, please. He's the smallest pig resident. So he came from Philly. He hopped a flight, came to us from Philadelphia, and uh, he's doing great. And did Huey fly commercial? No. He He had a private plane. You know, they come in style, right? Whoa! It would have been something if Huey had flown a Huey, but uh, I guess not. (laughs) Bougie, bougie Huey. Hey, you're close. That's how we got his name. His little little tail goes around like a a helicopter. helicopter. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, Jonathan, I can tell you're very invested. We do have to move on. We want to thank so much, uh, Beth Hyman, for joining us. If people want to find Crouton and support Squirrelwood Equine Sanctuary, where can they do that? It's squirrelwood.org. Visits are welcome. You come see the animals and... Wow! Yeah, come yeah, on I out. I need to come visit sometime. And, and when I'm on tour in the neighborhood, I'll, I'll come by and visit. And, Amazing. Um, I think yeah, you need to and, do a concert at the farm, but that's just me. Yeah, why hey, not? Maybe Nico and I can like... Hey, that would be awesome. Do that. Awesome. Well, we thank you so much for joining us, everybody. It's Beth Hyman and Crouton. Thank you so much. Thank you Woo-hoo! so much. What a what a joy. What a, This is like Christmas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Now it's time to move on to a quick break. We'll be back with more of Go Fact Yourself's Best of Animals special right after this. Helen, I want what I want when I want it, and I don't want what I don't want. Jakeith, what are you talking about? Butcher Box. Of course! We love ButcherBox. We get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox, deals you probably won't come across at the grocery store. Yeah, and I don't get fish, which I don't eat. And I don't get beef, which I don't eat. Yeah, you know what ButcherBox calls that, Helen? Curated and customized box plans with free shipping? Why, yes, that's exactly correct. (laughs) (laughs) It's high-quality meat and seafood you can trust delivered right to your door. And you know what I especially love about ButcherBox is that you keep the products in your freezer, you take out the portion that you want when you're ready to cook. And I love that it's super high quality and it shows up at your door and you don't have to read the labels while standing in the grocery aisle. Uh, Hey, let's share that love, Helen. How about a special deal for our listeners? And hey, ButcherBox is giving us a special deal. Oh yeah, sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash GoFact and use code GoFact to get two 100% grass-fed filet mignons and two wild-caught lobster tails for free in your first box plus $20 off your first order. Save $60 on two of their highest quality cuts and save the legwork with doorstep delivery. This exclusive offer only lasts until September 6th. Go to butcherbox.com gofact and use code gofact to claim this deal today. And all of this is the reason that we say thank, thank you, ButcherBox. The Greatest Generation, Maximum Fun's irreverent potty mouth Star Trek podcast is a big deal. How big? It's the only Star Trek podcast big enough to have 
our very own live show tour. And we're inviting all Star Trek Fan Max Funsters everywhere. We're calling it the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. And this year we're going to celebrate and roast Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. We're going to go to a bunch of cities. And GreatestGenTour.com has all the info. That's GreatestGenTour.com for dates and ticketing info for the Share Your Embarrassment Tour. Share your embarrassment and grow stronger from the sharing. New sponsor alert, Helen. New sponsor alert. Woo, 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 woo. Who is it, Helen? It's Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Helen, they sent me a box of Factor, and it is very easy to see why it's number one. This stuff is so incredible. I've got to tell you my personal experience. I chose low-carb, no seafood. That's how I like to eat. And that's exactly what came direct to my door. It shows up in a box. All the packaging is recyclable. The meals fit right into the fridge. I tend to not like reheated food. Uh, so I ate the first one cold. It was delicious. And then I thought, you know what? Just to be fair for our listeners, I know we're going to be doing an ad. I'm going to microwave it as they instructed. And it was even better. It didn't taste like a microwave meal. It tastes like someone had just made this for me on the stove exactly as I wanted it. It has a healthy portion. It had quality ingredients. It feels nourishing, like you're really doing something good for yourself. I cannot say enough good things about Factor. I actually chose the vegetarian options because the vegetarian options seemed really, really good. They had like mushroom marsala and like a good sounding tofu bowl. So that's the one that I chose. And I'm really glad I chose that one. Chef's kiss all around. All around. You know, it's funny. I actually saved my packaging uh, once I had the first meal thinking, oh, this is the one that I'll talk about uh, when we do the ad on the show. And then I ended up saving the packaging. I'm holding them up now for all of the meals they sent me because they all were so good. I had the grilled chicken parmesan, the herb crusted chicken, the sun-dried tomato chicken, the black pepper and sage pork chop with smoked cheddar Brussels sprouts and creamy broccoli. Are you kidding me? Those may not sound appealing to some of you for the things that you eat, but they're also the things that Helen eats that you will enjoy. Why am I talking so loudly? <laughs> Look, as summer winds down, things are getting pretty busy, and one of the easiest things to let slide is taking care of yourself with a proper meal. Well, Factor solves that with wholesome, convenient meals for those jam-packed days. You can fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your door. You'll save time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Whatever your preferred diet is, you can find a Factor that works for you. Level up with gourmet plus options prepared to perfect by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Mm. If you're too busy running around during the day to think about lunch, keep your energy up with Lunch To Go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls, those are the ones that I had, really good, and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go, no microwave required. All right, Helen, how can our listeners get in on Factor? Head to factormeals.com slash gofact50 and use code gofact50, that's gofact50, to get 50% off. That's code gofact50 at factormeals.com slash gofact50 to get 50% off. It's so, so good. You'll be glad that you did. And that is why we say... Thank Thank you, you, Factor. Factor! 
Welcome back to the Best of Animals special on Go Fact Yourself. We take you now back to episode 48 with writer Jenny Jaffe and her love of pandas against her opponent, Oscar winner Jim Rash. And it's not just that she loves pandas. She loves pandas that love pandas. And you'll love hearing her talk about it. Here we go. Question number one for Jenny about pandas. What counts for 99% of a panda's diet? Bamboo. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. You're off to a roaring start. Okay, I got this. I got this, guys. Uh, Fun fact, despite its similar appearance, bamboo is not closely related to rattan. Oh. Oh. Question number two. Giant pandas are known for their black and white fur, of course, but what color are they when they are born? Pink. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Pink and adorable. Uh, fun fact, there, there actually is a light coat of white fur, but they are mostly pink and very, very, very cute. Uh, you're two for two, Jenny. Here's question number three. A panda's paw has six digits, five fingers, and an opposable pseudo-thumb, which is actually an enlarged bone of what other body part? Toe? Well, you do have a hint available if you'd like Wait, to use the hint, but it's up on. to you. Or so you can think it out. panda has on his paw. On his paw. Or her paw. On her, or her paw. Yes. It's like what dogs have. Is sort of, it's sort a pseudo of. thumb. It's used, it's opposable. It's like a thumb, but it's not actually a finger. What bone actually is it? Oh, is it your arm bone? Helen, is it the arm bone? It is not. No, the arm I'm bone. terribly sorry. Jim with a chance to steal. I don't get her hint. You do not get her hint. <laughs> can I get although, my hint although in for a way, Jim? She, sorry? Can I get my hint for Jim? You cannot get your hint. Oh. Actually, no, we have to check the rules for that. Can she get her hint? Uh, we've for never Jim? been asked this. We've never been asked that. Mm. I mean, if you want to sacrifice I, a hint, I think it would be. I think it would be nice. What's he ever won? An Oscar? Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I'll give her one of mine if that comes up. All right, uh, Helen. Wow. In the first time in the history of the show, for Jim, what is Jenny's hint? It's where people get carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, so I guess wrist, Helen. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Oh, and they're hugging. Oh you my have God. to. I thought this pandas is... were cute, but this is cute. Well, this is know. what cute is. That's well, very, very gracious of so you, Jenny. Sweet. Yeah. The, very sweet. In the spirit of cooperation. Yeah. 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 All right, let's see if you can bounce back with question number okay. four. How many times a year does a female panda ovulate? I mean, it feels like zero, because this is panda's whole thing, is just that <laughs> none of them are making babies. Mm-hmm. You do have that other hint available I if you'd like to use it. I do have other hint. To you. Okay, I like my other hint. Helen, please. how about that second hint? It's one more than the male does. Do males ovulate? <laughs> it's one more time than the male it's, does. No? Is like constantly? I don't understand the question. How many times how many times a year do you think a male ovulates or produces? Oh, an so egg? is it one? Helen, is it one? It is it one! Is one. Oh. <laughs> Man, pandas are so I love pandas, but they are so poorly designed. I, they're trying to die, and I'm glad we haven't let them. But I just, they, we need to take the hint at some point. Yeah. Well, speaking of taking the hint, very nice use of that hint. <laughs> Question number five. Now, this is tricky, and you have no more hints available, but here you go. Okay. In 1972, President Nixon's trip to China led to some panda diplomacy, where the National Zoo got two giant pandas, the first to ever live in a permanent exhibit in the United States. Name one of them. I'm worried about this answer because... Mm-hmm. We want to be culturally sensitive, right, of course. that's exactly yes, why. Yes, yes. So I'm going to go with Harrison. Helen. <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to get a point. 
And the other one's Bonnie. Uh, Helen, is it Harrison? Nope. Jim with a chance to steal. Uh, so it just one of the names? One of the two names. Although if you want to give us both, we'll take it. Uh, the only thing is in my head is Ling Ling or is something? That, is that your answer? Yes. Helen, is it Ling Ling? That is correct. That is correct. Oh. Fun fact, the U.S. gave China a pair of musk oxen in return. That does not seem commensurate. Not a fair trade. Uh, Ling Ling, the other one was Sing Sing. H-S-I-N-G. Ling Ling and Sing Sing. Isn't it lovely? That's so cute. All right, you distilled it pretty well in that round, but here now is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. In April of this year, the previously mentioned San Diego Zoo permanently closed its panda habitat and sent its remaining pandas back to China. This leaves three zoos in the United States where you can see an exhibit of live pandas. For up to three points, name the three cities where you'd find these zoos. So I know one is in D.C. Okay. I'm going to guess that they're kind of spread out. Okay. Maybe in... L.A. Okay. Let's go with somewhere esoteric. Maybe like the Zoo of the Dakotas or something. The esoteric and famous <laughs> Zoo of the Dakotas. All right. Helen is making note of Jenny's answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a professor of veterinary medicine at Western University who is a reproductive consultant for giant pandas at zoos around the world. It's Dr. David Kersey. Dr. David Kersey. Hi. Hello, Dr. Kersey. Shaking Jenny's hand, shaking Jim's hand. Have a seat right there, sir. I have so many questions about your job. <laughs> yeah, as do, as do we. Hello, Dr. Kersey. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no uh, problem. Uh, now, we, Jenny was mentioning how difficult it is to get pandas to reproduce. About how many pandas, or do you know the exact number, how many pandas are living right now in the world? In the world, if you include wild and captive, yeah. probably close to 3,000. 3,000, okay. That's triple what it was, like... A decade ago, so that uh, seems great. Yeah, well, about a decade ago, we were about 1,500 in the wild as an estimate, and now with the wild, I mean, with the captive population, we're close to 700. Oh, that's, that's awesome. What about pandas made you want to study them? Uh, it was a real fascinating subject. Uh, I wanted to study reproduction, and reproduction hadn't been fully um, investigated in giant panda, and we needed to develop a breeding protocol, so that's why I got involved. So your entire job is to get pandas to do it. Well, that was my, my PhD research. Now, now my, my real job is teaching uh, veterinary students on reproduction. Was your dissertation called Pandas Doing It? <laughs> yeah, that would have gone over really swimmingly. No. It was real professional. No, no. It was uh, reproduction and adrenal endocrinology in the giant panda. Yeah. So your specialty is endocrinology. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that means as far so as... So endocrinology is the study of the hormones that regulate uh, the body, and particularly with reproduction, there's a lot of hormones that regulate all the reproductive elements, and from there, we helped understand giant panda biology and particularly the breeding. Now, don't take this question the wrong way, but how many pandas have you gotten pregnant? By my own hands, where I was involved, probably 11, I think. Um, wow. By the protocols that I helped develop, probably That's north like, of 100. So protocol-wise, walk me through this. What's the like lighting? What's the soundtrack? <laughs> yeah. What's the vibe in the room? Yeah. Like, you put on some Barry White, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, put Barry White in black. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so difficult for pandas to reproduce? It, well, I mean, technically, 
they don't have difficulty reproducing in the wild. We just they, want they, more. They, yeah, they existed for about 20 million years in the wild. So, mm -hmm. to me, giant pandas know how to reproduce when we bring them into captivity. That's it's our problem, That's not our theirs. That's our problem. Interesting. Yeah. I have a question. Are yeah. pandas really soft? It, de it depends Finally, on the age. Finally, a hard-hitting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the age. If they're like six months and younger, uh -huh. they, they are pretty fluffy and soft. And then as they start to get a little bit older, their fur starts to get a lot rougher. And definitely after they've hit maturity, then their fur is pretty rough. Mm -hmm. Do you, you deal with them when they're gross for one day? <laughs> Thank you, no. Jim. No, I don't. No, no don't one does? No. Marty, get in there. They're gross. <laughs> <sighs> I just want to touch them when they're fluffy. Get out of here, Marty. Uh, all right, uh, let's get to the reason that we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jenny. We wanted to know which three zoos in the United States are the only ones where you can see an exhibit of live pandas. Helen, what was Jenny's first answer? Jenny said Washington, D.C. That's correct. That is correct. It's yeah. the Smithsonian, Smithsonian National, National Zoo. Zoological Park. Yep. Uh, Helen, what was the next answer that Jenny gave? Jenny said L.A. Dr. Kersey? No. 1984, maybe, but no. Not, not currently, now. Are no. we playing by 1984 rules, by any no. chance? <laughs> Were you alive in 1984? No. Okay, then probably not. And finally, what was the last answer that Jenny gave? Jenny said, the zoo of the Dakotas. <laughs> uh, I have no idea what that is. No, it's, so the, the three zoos are, are Smithsonian National Zoo, Memphis Zoo, and Zoo Atlanta. And uh, you've worked with two of those three. Yeah, so I, I did my dissertation work at the Smithsonian, and then I also did a lot of research at Zoo Atlanta and done a lot of their breedings as well. If people want to find out more about you or your work, where can they go? Google Scholar and type in my name and research. Oh, oh, we just published a chapter in a book on giant panda breeding. It was really exciting. It's a science-y thing. It's a science-y thing. But if yeah. you want to know more, you can look up Dr. David Kersey. We're so happy that you joined us. Dr. David Kersey, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that was a fun one. And now we have one final segment to share. It's from episode 87, and it might just feature our most adorable critters yet. A big promise, but we're pretty sure this lives up to it. Here are comedians Sean Devlin and Allison Levy with Allison's love of otters. You know, when we started doing this show five plus years ago, I never imagined this is what it would turn into. And I mean that in the best way. Give it a listen. All right, here's question number one for Allison Livey. Allison, does an otter called the giant river otter, which makes sense because it's a giant otter, the longest in the world, and makes sense because it lives in a giant river, the second largest in the world and the largest in South America. What is this river? The Amazon? Helen? That is correct. That is correct. The Amazon River, home of the giant river otter. Fun fact, the giant river otter was feared extinct in Argentina, but conservationists there spotted one in the wild in May. Oh, good for Isn't them. That nice, yes. They say, nice. they say Argentina is the Vancouver of the South. <laughs> All right, here's question number two. Unlike most other marine mammals, otters don't have a layer of blubber for insulation. So what do they rely on to keep themselves warm? Their fur. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Fun fact, sea otters hold the Guinness record for densest mammal fur of any mammal, up to 2.6 million hairs per square inch. What? 2.6 um, million hairs per square inch. That is crazy because yes. I have I have a husky German shepherd mix and I feel like there's 2.6 million hairs just flying around my house <laughs> yeah. right now. Just flying yeah. around my house. Boy, otters are very hard to vacuum after. <laughs> All right, Allison, you're two for two. Here's question number three. There are 13 known species of otter, but which of the following is not one of them? 
Is it the Eurasian otter, miniature otter, Congo clawless otter, hairy-nosed otter, or smooth-coated otter? Can I get a hint? Helen, how about that first hint? The Congo clawless is a real species of otter. I'm going to guess the furry-nosed otter. That would be the hairy-nosed otter? Hairy-nosed otter. Okay, Helen, is it the hairy-nosed otter? It is not the hairy-nosed otter. No, no I'm I want to meet that sorry. otter. Yeah, <laughs> I hear he's got a hairy nose. Sean Devlin with a chance to steal. My knowledge of otters is so limited. All I can say is that I once saw an episode of TV where they showed pictures of otters to Benedict Cumberpatch <laughs> because they looked really similar to him. Uh-huh. So that would mean which one of these isn't real? The mini. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Oh, I don't deserve this. That is crazy. You just guessed? <laughs> I guessed. Wow. No, no, no. He, you took your deep knowledge of having seen Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> yeah. interact with otters and knew he would never interact with a miniature they, otter. They didn't They didn't show him any photos of miniature otters that looked like him. Whoa. That's very sound logic. <laughs> I was literally hoping the miniature otter was real. Yeah. It's a little disappointing. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, fun fact, the smallest of all 13 species is the Asian short-clawed otter, but it is not called the miniature otter. It could, however, be called a movie star because an Asian short-clawed otter provided the sounds of the tauntaun in The Empire Strikes Back. What? That's right. It was not a real tauntaun, Helen. I'm sorry to have to tell oh, you. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought these things smelled bad on the outside. Exactly. And they sound a lot like Asian short-clawed otters. Whoa. (laughs) All right, Allison, let's see if you can bounce back with question number four. According to a recent article in the New York Times, there's a creature in the water that sea otters eat so much of, it prompted a scientist to say they eat them like popcorn. What is this delicious otter snack? I know they like oyster, or they like cracking things open. Um, Mm -hmm. Clams? Helen, is it clams? It is not clams. No, no. I'm terribly sorry. Sean Devlin, another chance to steal. Uh, Red Lobster used to sell popcorn shrimp. I'm going to go shrimp. <laughs> is it shrimp? <laughs> it is not shrimp. No, no. It also is not uh, those uh, buttery biscuits that they sell at Red Lobster either. No, no. We're looking for sea urchins. They eat oh, over... Oh, yeah. Yes, they eat hundreds and hundreds of sea urchins uh, every day. Fun fact, otters eat so many sea urchins, in fact, they help protect the ocean environment, leading them to be called a keystone species. Here's question number five. Allison, you do still have a hint available. Okay. Many otter species were hunted nearly to extinction for their fur, a fate not uncommon to the family of animals to which they belong, a family of animals that includes the mink, the sable, and the ermine. To what taxonomic family do all these rare and or scarce animals belong? Let me do the hint and see if it sparks anything. All right, Helen, how about that second hint? It kind of sounds like what you have to unscrew to get into a jar of Grey Poupon. Is it like lid something? Lid day? I'm going to say lid day. I don't think that's a real word, but... Helen, is there more to the hint than that? There is more to the hint. Oh, I'm sorry. It rhymes with blustablid. So think, so Grey Poupon rhymes with... Blustablid. Mustablid? Mustamid? Mustamid. I'm going to say mustamid. Is that a word? Helen? 
I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Yes. Okay. It is mustelid. 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 Yes. Mustelid or mustelidae. All right. uh, That's a point for that one. Very nice uh, job on that, Allison. Fun fact, the mustelid family also includes the badger, the wolverine, and the ferret. Bonus fun fact, I have a tattoo of a ferret, which I recently learned is a mustelid. That is a really fun family of animals. Yeah. Yeah. Badgers, wolverines, otters. Ermans, they're up to a lot of stuff. Ma- yeah, yeah. sables. Yeah. I, they're all very pettable. Pettable they family. Don't, they don't care what anyone thinks about them. Yeah, that is a family <laughs> picnic I want to witness. The badger, wolverine, <laughs> ferret, and otter all together. All right, Allison, you ended up doing pretty well in that, but here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple <laughs> answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Allison, we've talked about otters. Now let's talk about how we talk about otters. For up to three points, what is a grouping of sea otters gathered on the water called? What is a baby otter called? And what is otter poop called? Okay, I'm going to the second one first because I know they're pups. Okay, those are the babies. A group of them, collective nouns for animals are so fascinating. I don't, I know that their den is called a couch. I know that's not the question. (laughs) That's right. Always happy to have you show off there. Just to be uh, like, it, here's some otter facts. Indeed. Um, and we're specifically looking for sea otters when they're gathered on the water. They 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 are called something when they're okay. in that formation, in that location. I'm going to say this knowing it's not right, but a wharf of otters. A wharf of otters. All right. <laughs> and um, uh, what does a wharf of otters leave behind as their poop? A pellets? Pellets. <laughs> all right. We've got Allison's answers. We don't know yet if she is correct or not. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a senior instructor at Oregon State University's Department of Fisheries, Wildlife, and Conservation Sciences and the founder of the International Union of Conservation for Nature's Otter Specialist Group. It's Dr. Nicole Duplay. Hello, Dr. Duplay. Hi there. Please call me Nicole. I don't want to sound more pompous. Than I am. <laughs> I don't know. Pomposity is always welcome on this show, but I, I will abide by your wish, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us. Good. Well, I'm, I laughed more in the last hour than I have probably in the last year and a half. Oh, <laughs> oh that's we good. Love that. That's very kind of here. That says a lot coming from uh, otter pomposity. Yes. (laughs) Well, the first thing I have to ask is, do you have an otter to uh, show us on camera? Well, on my desk, Yes. I have an an otter footprint. (gasps) Oh, okay. Look at that. It's adorable. plated in gold? (laughs) What's going on? No, it's not. It's bronze. Ah, okay. It came in third place. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a front paw or a back paw? Those are some intense claws there. That's the back paw of a Eurasian otter. Because Ah. uh, if you came to my house, you could see many, many sculptures and paintings and everything. When you've studied animals for 45 years, everybody gives you otters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you're very easy to shop for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the work that you've been doing for a long time. Tell us about the Otter Specialist Group that you helped found in 1974. Uh, IUCN has uh, many specialist groups, usually species or groups of species, and uh, otters were in a very bad way back then. And there's only one that's out of real trouble, and that's our very own North American river otter. And if you meet a river otter, I'm going to tell you how... To greet it. <gasps> Please do. The, no- the noise that you have to make, which is the polite, how do you do, is... 
What? <laughs> That's very Joker-esque. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Andy, if you didn't do it right, the otter will be farting and, and it will go... <gasps> what? Do that again. Oh, my God. That is a Tauntaun. That is straight up Tauntaun. Wow. It is a Tauntaun. That's crazy. They're so majestic. Yeah, they- <laughs> They're just like us. Well, uh, well uh, Dr. Duplay, I have to say, for all the studying that you've done, I feel like your career has peaked with you making that sound on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question, though, about one of our initial questions that we asked, which is that an otter has 2.6 million hairs per square inch on their body. Yeah. But is that true? Yeah. And and some uh, say 3 million. So, <gasps> uh, yes, uh, sea otter's fur is the most dense and, and wonderful and velvety in the whole world. Oh, my God. I have a new bucket list item. I need to touch a sea otter. Yeah. Yes. Have you have you encountered any otters uh, in Vancouver? I hear they're very yes. popular and polite. Just a, few, uh, a year ago, I was in Vancouver to look for the sea otters that are doing very well there. They were reintroduced about twenty years ago. Did you get off the plane in Vancouver and just start going? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you know what was terrible is that when you are all day long listening to otter sounds, it comes up at inopportune moments. For instance, is somebody whispering sweet nothings in your ear. You go. (laughs) 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 But if that person answers back, then you know you found the match. (laughs) Do you also appreciate the pockets that otters have? Well, only sea otters have them. Only sea otters have the pockets. Okay. And they just kind of lie around most of the day and and eat delicious uh, seafood. So I I just envy them all. Totally. (laughs) Please explain about the pockets. So they have pockets like on the side, as if on the side of a skirt? No, it's basically under their arm, you know, and and Uh. in a sense we do too, you know. So they just put a rock under their arm and, you know, hold it under there and go and get something and it's their favorite rock and you know it's not a real pocket with a zipper oh okay okay so there's no zippers or snaps but yeah no how many of us haven't done that when you know you run out of places to put things you just hold it under your arm we're we're so alike we're not that different from the sea otter i also have favorite rocks yeah, is that what you, that, <laughs> let's get to the reason we brought you here nicole as far as our game is concerned you heard the question that we asked of alice and Libby. first we wanted to know what is a grouping of sea otters gathered on the water called helen what did allison say allison said a wharf and dr duplay <laughs> it's called a raft ah a raft and it is that because close. it sort of looks like yeah. a raft uh, yes it does it looks like you know this carpet of brown things floating on the surface wait how do they stay together do they hold hands please say yes uh, that un- <laughs> no not really uh that happens in zoos when there's circulation in the pool and as they don't want to drift and hit the side they say, okay, we're going to hold on to each other and stay in the middle. Oh, very adorable and very interesting. All right, no point there, though. Uh, next, we wanted to know, what is a baby otter called? Helen, what did Allison say? Allison said pup. And uh, doctor? Yes, correct. Hey. Correct, and a big thumbs up from the professor. Very good, Allison. That's a point for you. And finally, we wanted to know, what is otter poop called? Helen, what did Allison say? Allison said pellets. And uh, Dr. Duplay? No, it's called sprint. Uh, sprint. And it's wow. an old English word. You know, the British have 
funny names for all kinds of animal things, like a badger den is called a set. Otter den is called a holt. A holt. Oh, oh, what was a couch or sofa that Allison said? Was it couch? The proper term for an otter couch is a hover. Oh, it gets better okay. and better. But no, I'm sorry. Sprint was the correct answer for their poop, and that's S-P-R-A-I-N-T. Allison, is there anything you'd like to ask of our expert while we have her here? Do otters have any, like, natural friends in the animal world? Are there any animals they get along with or cohabitate with and don't eat? (laughs) Yes. In zoos, for instance, small clawed otters, you know, the minuscule otter, and it has been kept with orangutans, and orangutans are fascinated by otters. Uh, If you ever go to Singapore, you will see over a hundred otters or more now in the city going in different groups and stuff. So they can get along with people. Yes. Just okay. chilling in the city? What? Yes. Yes. Hey, they're going out to eat. They got to eat their shellfish. Yeah. <laughs> and then the koi and the koi in the ponds, which is not very popular. There are at least three Pixar movies just in the images that you yes. just described right now. <laughs> it's been so great that you've been able to join us and share your love of otters. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Well, uh, there are 385 experts around the world trying to, to uh, develop programs uh, to conserve otters. And if you love otters, please go to the otterspecialistgroup.org and press the donate button because otters really need you. And they deserve all the love they can get. Oh, well, it's so wonderful that you were able to share your love with us. And uh, it's a great cause to help support an animal population that needs it. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Nicole Duplay. Thank you. That episode also featured DJ Jazzy Jeff, who made his own comments about otters that you really otter. Check out. All right, and that will do it for this Best of Animals special on Go Fact Yourself. You can find links to the full episodes of all of the episodes we mentioned here in our show notes. And there are some even more recent animal segments we've done about parrots and the killer whale from Free Willy. Check them out at gofactorpod.com or in our podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with an all-new episode of Go Fact Yourself. Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from venues and homes across the world. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor and overall hero is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Additional support from Christine Velada, Dave Bianchi, Clint Tauscher, Bart Gold, and many more. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go pet some kitty cats! And some husbanding chickens? Good luck with that. Hi, I'm Travis McElroy. And I'm Teresa McElroy. And we're the host of Schmanners. We don't believe that etiquette should be used to judge other people. No, on Schmanners, we see etiquette as a way to navigate social situations with confidence. So if that sounds like something you're into, join us every Friday on Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows Supported directly by you.